You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey people, how are you doing? Welcome. It's just past eight o'clock on a Tuesday evening and you're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, episode 113. Can't believe we've already got to these um, uncannily high numbers, but this is this is this is it. Um, you may notice, hopefully you do notice, that the voice is back to Matt Phillips. Um, I'm your regular host, um, but we have had the pleasure since I've been on holiday. Um, we've had the pleasure of Mike Grice um, of Movement Therapy Education, who's been standing in most graciously for us for the last two episodes. Thanks, Mike, if you're listening. You may even be popping in tonight just to make sure he gets his full glory and thanks. Um, if you listen to the podcast and you haven't listened before, then uh, we do record this live, um, uh, which is why um, I will be bringing up what people, the people who join us, their comments can go on the screen. For example, body repair, sports therapy. Hey there, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Liz Bailey is in the house as well tonight. Liz Bailey Physio, how are you doing? Liz says, hi, man, I'm just so happy I could join this evening. We're so happy you're here, Liz. I'm looking forward to involving you as much as you possibly can. Uh, with regards to, I know you probably work with a lot of female dancers of various ages. So it'd be interesting to incorporate some of that into questions for Angela as well. Um, so yeah, if you do join us live, um, then you get a chance to talk to our guests. It's also a great way of, of networking. You haven't got to be a sports therapy association member at all to join us. You haven't even got to just be a sports therapist or sports massage therapist. There's plenty of physios. Liz Bailey, for example, Liz Bailey physio, as the name implies. Um, you can be osteopath. It doesn't matter because as you will gather when you listen to any of our shows, it's all about breaking down walls, not building them up. Isn't that beautiful? Um, so, yeah, um, any discipline is always great because we're all going to work together to get the full benefit of the patient. So if you do want to join us, it's every Tuesday at eight o'clock um, on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. The last two weeks it was on Facebook just because it was easier doing that way with Mike. But we normally go out on the uh, YouTube channel if you want to join us live. Otherwise, if you listen to the podcast, that's great. Thank you very much. And the only price you have to pay is just please take a couple of moments to leave a little comment if it's going to be a nice comment and a rating. Um, doesn't cost you anything. Just need to go, especially on your iPhone, just go to your app and just click on maybe five as a suggestion, five stars and leave a little comment as well. It just helps us appear higher in the Google search results when people put in, for example, adolescent knee bam, we'll be up there. And the good word of our guest tonight, Angela Jackson, will be there, which is what this is all about, putting out the information for everybody um, as, as much as we can. So anyway, um, yes, yeah, so we've had two episodes of Mike Grice, which is great. In my absence, I've been in Cyprus, hence this doesn't look quite so tan now. I'm back here with the light on. But hence why I look like I've got a Boris Johnson wig on, running every day in Cyprus. It was beautiful. But um, yeah, it was great. But I'm back now. Um, but thanks, Mike, um, for the two episodes. If you're interested in them, I've just got back. So they're not available as a podcast yet. But if you want to listen to Mike talking to um, guests, Tim Allardyce, and we also had STA member Nicholas Smith of Caramel Health, Holistic.uk joining us, talking about their recent experiences working at Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games, then that is available on YouTube. I have uploaded that to YouTube, so you can listen to that, uh, watch it on YouTube. Um, the episode 112 last week, Mike was joined by Dr. Claire Minchell. That's not available yet. The only way you can watch that is going to the Sports Therapy Association Facebook page and you can see the recording there. That was with Dr. Claire Minchell talking about the difference between strength versus power, which is very important, obviously, when 
might be something we even talk about tonight when it comes to working with people who need to rehabilitate and get back to full functional strength. Um, that's not on YouTube yet, but it will be within the next few days. When it, Mike? Yeah, looking at my emails, mate. Thank you very much. Um, so there you go. Right. That's it, I think. What have we got coming up? So, yeah, the next three, fortunately, August is a five Tuesday month. So we've got three episodes and this month, as always, we're picking a topping and it's going to be focused on the knee. Um, back in the previous month, we had focus on the foot and ankle. Um, and now we're moving up the body to the knee. You can see there's going to be a theme developing here. So we've got three fantastic guests lined up, starting shortly with Angela Jackson, who was a guest back in episode, search my cribs, I know it was in March. If you want to check it out, I think it was 93 back in March um, in the episode entitled Active Kids and Not Many Adults, uh, which I'm sure will sum up a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but we're also going to have next week, uh, we're going to have pain, patellofemoral pain specialist Claire Robertson. I'm very excited about. I've been following Claire for probably as long as I've been on Twitter practically. So that's quite a long time. Um, talking about patellofemoral pain and the week after is going to be a consultant orthopedic knee surgeon Jonathan Bell talking about do I need knee surgery um, so we've got three excellent episodes coming up again if you just fancy this in the podcast that's fine but if you want to actually ask questions to our guests live um, then just join us Tuesdays on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel right okay um, I think I've um, made our guests wait for long enough in the lobby. Um, also joining us tonight will be Gary Benson, founder of the STA. Um, and also, whilst I've been away, thank you very much for people who sent questions in. We're going to be tackling some of the questions and presenting them to Angela Jackson, um, all to do with the adolescent knee. Obviously, if you joined us live, major front row seat here. So you can, you're welcome just to ask questions as and when. And I've told Gary and our guest Angela if they see something more interesting in in the guest um, questions well, what I'm going on about but just cut in there and um, just hi to people who are also joining us now Glenn Murphy's in the room hey Glenn how are you doing Thomas Roth has joined us um, says sound is see that at the moment sound issue sound is double something Thomas Roth never mind okay got it Lindsay Penn says evening all newly qualified sports massage therapist so first time listening and very much ready to learn that's beautiful that's so cool thanks for joining us Lindsay it's great to have people who are newly qualified because it gives us first-hand chance to see how what you're going to hear compares to what you've been taught and um, so that's really exciting thanks so much for joining us Lindsay really glad you made it to the live session right so without further ado um, I should bring up our special guest for this evening on the adolescent knee um, Angela Jackson you're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey, Angela, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you, Matt? How was your holiday? It was great. Thank you very much for asking. That's very kind of you. That's good. Uh, it was amazing. Um, I was actually, I was just talking to Gary, who I'll bring up in a second. Um, we'll leave him down there in a bit because um, I just want you to myself for a moment. But yeah, it was lovely. And we were just saying, I did feel a little bit spoiled. I don't know whether you've ever had that. With you. I don't know if it's a sign of the times when you know so much. Oh, this is going to sound so insincere now, but it's true. I felt guilty eating um, unlimited buffets and food. And and I, I sound really insincere saying it. I don't know whether it's a sign of the times, but it felt like this is too much. This is over the top. I don't need this beautiful dinner again. I'm quite happy just a sandwich or something, you know. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Please say no, yeah, I love my food, so I'm afraid. <laughs> that would never be a problem for me, man. Never be a problem. 
<laughs> I know. I wish I'd never say that now. I'm going to edit oh. that out of the. Uh, no, you're not. Episode. It was a bit weird. It's only lot. I still ate all my dinner, but um, I just felt a little. No, bit you can get. It just good. gets to a point where you just think, actually, I just need something simple. So, uh, anyway, great. good to have you back. Thank you very much, and thanks for joining us for this opening episode of the Knee. Really excited. Um, I'm going to bring up Gary now. Um, Gary, founder of the SDA, is also going to be in the house tonight. So that's the other voice you'll hear on the podcast. Hi, Gary. How you doing? Hi, Matt. I was I was going to say that the, you have got that all inclusive glow. <laughs> I know it's something. You know, do you comment on it, or is it just going to sound terrible? Oh, it must be really awful for you, Matt, eating your breakfast, lunch, and dinner after you run along the beautiful seafront in the sun for getting burned. It's been really tricky for you worrying about. But anyway, I just thought I'd mention it. If anyone else has suffered this, then do please comment quickly now. Um, just to make me not feel totally stupid. But hey, Gary, you're still suffering from post-COVID symptoms, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I may go on mute occasionally while I, I cough. Um, it's been a few weeks, just can't get rid of my cough at the moment. So mornings, evenings and air-conned rooms, it just plays up a, li a little bit. Okay, yeah. So if you are listening to Gary, it does sound like he could and a fortune out of voiceovers is actually, yeah, post-COVID stuff. He's sounding very husky. But um, yeah, if he does go on mute, it's because he's coughing away. Right, so here we are. Um, thanks again to people who joined us live. Um, Angela, so yeah, you came on back in March um, uh, with kind of something which encapsulates everything you do, isn't it? That, that active kids are not mini adults. Is that fair enough? Is that a great tagline which still um, has, you know, stands very much for what you believe in? Yeah, I think across all the professions, um, I'm very mindful of the fact that certainly um, certainly on the physiotherapy courses, undergraduates, we don't actually cover um, paediatrics uh, MSK. And so as a result of which, I think a lot of um, clinicians across the professions are blissfully unaware that that kids aren't just the same as, as adults and their pathology is different, their anatomy is different. Um, and therefore, I'm on a bit of a mission, really, to try and raise that awareness so that we make sure that kids and young athletes, because they're, they're not really mature until they're into their early 20s, uh, be that their brain, their skeleton or whatever. So I think it's just so important that the people that we see in front of us get the treatment that they need, as opposed to us thinking that we know what's going to be wrong with them based on our experiences of adults. Yeah, it's a great point. And in fact, Lindsay, <laughs> there might be quite a lot of focus on you tonight, Lindsay. I hope you're, you're ready to actually answer all of this. But I'm interested straight away, like you're a newly qualified sports massage therapist. I don't know what level you did or where you where you study or whatever, but I'm wondering straight away how much, and to anybody else listening in the room, how much um, focus was placed on the adolescent, um, whether it's an active, kind of sporty, um, younger person or whether it's a non-active. But typically the child that comes in maybe with parent or carer, um, yeah, let me know if you feel that it was covered enough, whether they were differentiated from the adult. Because I remember last episode, Angie, you said something really interesting. And it's so true that often a parent will bring their child in because they think, well, they knew how to look after my hip or my knee. Therefore, I mean, it's a knee's a knee, isn't it? They're going to be able to look after my son or my daughter or whatever. But something you made quite clear in the last episode, that's it's false thinking, isn't it? It doesn't necessarily yeah. work that way. No, absolutely. And I think this is something that I'm sort of trying to, to push with clinics at the moment is that um, you need to have somebody within the, your clinic base or you need to, if you're a one man band, you need to have that knowledge to to recognize the extent of your own um, skill set. So that if you're not sure what that child is, then send them somebody, to somebody who does uh, much the same as I won't treat vestibular things. I 
Um, I refer on um, a whole load of different conditions, just purely and simply because I don't think I'm the best person for that job. And so I try and sort of encourage people to either expand their knowledge through education like we're doing through these these podcasts um, or alternatively just be confident to say, I don't know how to do that. I was great at treating granny. I was great at treating mum. But actually, I don't need to be all things to all people. So I think it's just sometimes also knowing when to say no. Yeah, brilliant, which is a common thing we've had across. And that's really quite scary, especially for a newly qualified sports therapist. It's like learning that one, there's going to be a lot of people who don't fit into the black and white textbook kind of definitions you've learned and being presented by these people who you kind of sat on a pedestal. And two, just dealing with that fact, like you said, Angie, that it's kind of cool just to say to your client, we'll look into this. I'm not quite sure at the moment. I might speak to a colleague or something. We'll get back to that. Meanwhile, let's do that. Uh, but it's something you learn. And I think it's one of the things which can make you into a much better therapist, isn't it? That, that not being afraid yeah. or not knowing and having that communication with your client. Gary, you're quite a big fan of that, aren't you? Telling your client, honestly, you're not quite sure. Yeah. And, and when Angie was talking there, it, it brought up a question in my mind. You know, it, let's just say that the, the normal system that we we have in this country, you know, mum or dad takes little Jimmy or Jenny to the doctors um, and enters the referral system. They've got some knee pain. They then referred to physio. How often, Angie, do you think that they are referred to the correct physio? You know, should we be asking the questions when we're in front of the, the general practitioner to say, you know, Jimmy or Jenny's 14 you know do they need a specialist physio do we go through the normal system do we go straight to a consultant how how effective is the system at present um i think as we stand at the moment i think more and more people are becoming aware of the um the different needs of the different sort of uh, cohorts i think one of the bigger dramas is um, we've got that disparity between adults and children but we've also got that disparity between non-athlete and athlete um, and I spent the day updating my stress fracture um, module today for my course and looking at a lot of um, energy availability and the impact that that has. And unless we know about the conditions that these um, athletes or children may have, then we don't even know what questions to ask in the subjective. So I think it becomes one of the things that kind of keeps coming through to me is certainly within the adolescent population um, with knees is that they don't just get better as quickly as we thought they did. You know, we have this idea that, oh, don't worry, you're going to grow out of it in a matter of months. And as soon as we're through this growth spurt, we're done. And and the literature is coming through hard and fast saying that these kids could be with problems for two and four years. And in some instances, go on to have um, certainly um, uh, Claire will talk about it next week. And next week is patellofemoral pain into adulthood as well. And so I think it comes down to we need to really understand what the person in front of us is going to need to get back to. And so whether we're a specialist in adults, a specialist in sports, part of it is just trying to really listen to the patient and understand what do they want to get back to? What are their, you know, what are their needs and how can I help address those? And for the things that I can't address, where am I going to get that information from? Very interesting. I think it's worth pointing out at the moment. I know people who have done your online courses. We're talking about the courses you offer at AngelaJacksonPhysio.com, um, and there's plenty of variety there. Obviously, all to do with working with the with the younger athlete or non-athlete. But it's not just for 
physios, is it at all? You have people who are oh, gosh, massage no. therapists and therapists. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's deliberately set up really that I think actually now um, sort of, you know, younger uh, people and, and athletes are going to see sports rehabilitators. They're going to see soft tissue therapists, sports massage therapists. Um, and so I think it's really important that we get this like cross education throughout all the disciplines um, and also sort of sports scientists and PE teachers and things. They need to understand when's it safe for the to ignore pain? When's it not? Can we let this little person with, say, Osgood Schlatter's um, partake in PE or can we not? So for me, it's about this whole like almost like a, a multidisciplinary team um, and get everybody across the whole MDT um, educated around what's safe to ignore. You know, how do we get these kids through their growth years and things like that? Brilliant. Lindsay just come back and said, um, I'll bring it up on the screen just for people are watching live. Lindsay said only just a level three at the moment, not a huge amount in terms of treatment, just only covered gaining consent. And then goes on to say all very textbook at the moment. So really not feeling ready to get out and assess and treat the wider spectrum of clients. But that sounds that's like really mature way of looking at stuff. The fact that you recognize. I remember I can't remember who we were talking to. It might have been Mike Stewart. Somebody, I think it was Mike Stewart talking about education where initially, because we often on this show, we've kind of complained and whinged and whined about how the syllabus is often really poor and we need to upgrade stuff, not just for sports therapy. Some people say the physiotherapy degree lacks certain components. But Mike Stewart, I think it was Mike, was saying how he was talking about the learning process and how initially, a bit like with children, things need to be black and white. It's the only way our brain can take on the information. Mm -hmm. And then later on, if you try going into all the little different details and saying oh we're not sure about this and it could be that which i'm sure we'll talk about later on with different kind of conditions and issues with the knee nobody would be able to kind of step up from that first rung of the ladder so it's fine it's cool lindsay the fact that's the way you've got your foundation level now the difference is now that you kind of go right i've got that great foundation now i'm going to start working see where it doesn't work realize the huge different variety of people i'm going to see and just step up from that i guess that's where cpd like um, yours Angie comes in it's kind of a stepping stone for people who've got a basic foundation and now it's like okay you know the basics let's move up to particular different populations in your case uh, the adolescent yeah I've got an introduction to um, peds and MSK uh, webinar next week it's actually full but um, certainly be great for Lindsay uh, and any other kind of people who aren't as familiar with the um, uh, adolescent MSK we're going right back to basics um, and so um, I think there's a waitlist option and I'll just put an extra date on because that seems to have gone down really well. So um, that's good. We'll make sure. Yeah, we'll make sure links to all of that go into the show. Yeah. So if you do want to see the show notes, people listening on the podcast, for example, then either go along to the thesta.co.uk. So that's thesta.co.uk and all the links and show notes put in there. And also uh, they will appear at Podbean, who's our host for the podcast. Um, I've looked at the course and one of the things I love about your courses, Angela, is that they are broken down. I love the way you start off with a quiz, um, kind of a video and then a quiz just to kind of set the bar and kind of see what people know or people can understand for themselves with some great x-ray videos and differences. I haven't seen that on other courses, to tell you the truth. I've seen introductions and here's what we're going to talk about today, people. But I love the interaction of, of let's do a quiz and you can learn for yourself what you know, what you don't know, reward yourself a little bit. Was that kind of your idea of putting that in there? Um, I just think that online teaching, I, I, like obviously all my teaching was done face to face prior to, to the wonderful COVID. 
Um, and that's just opened up opportunities for online teaching, which has been great. We've got all of these podcasts now, and there just feels like so many options available to everyone for enhancing their knowledge. But um, these discussions are great. They're, they're interactive and we can make them quite dynamic. But I think when you're teaching, um, I just get I, I like the feeling that I'm just splurging the screen. And so I try to sort of think for ways of, of making people wake up a little bit and join in and, and make them as interactive as I can, really. So um, we did a quiz on on LinkedIn, which is kind of part of, of what you're talking about. And um, we were trying to get people to sort of think of all the different knee conditions that you might see as an adult and which ones might you see as a kid. And I think that's a good way to start, really. And so that, you you know, we don't know what we don't know. So if they don't even know that the conditions exist, we've got to start somewhere. Yeah, quizzes are great. I remember, I think it was in the foot and ankle, who we were talking to, somebody was just stressing how the fact of play is a great way to learn. And we forget yeah. about that. And a quiz is a great way of playing, especially if you've got some visual input. Yeah. No, really cool. Right, we've got some questions, haven't we, Gary? It's, it was really nice to get some e questions emailed in. So if it's all right with you, Angela, I think. And what we can do is take some questions maybe, and then we can link that to ask or certain parts of your course, which go into more detail of what comes up. We've got a question from you, Rob, as well, which we'll come to in a sec. Thanks for sending them in. If you are watching live, then feel free to stick some questions in, because now we come to the next stage of the show. Question Angie, Angie, Angie. Gary, um, what do we have? Yeah, okay, if I can just, um, Lindsay, I'll just a quick note to Lindsay to say, um, I've got an STA Gary Facebook profile. If you send me a, um, a friend request and a DM, I'll have a chat with you about your learning journey going forward and about the limitations of the level three. Um, can you still hear me okay, Matt? Because I seem to have frozen, you seem to have frozen. Oh, no, I can hear you. And okay, and she's moving, yeah. Yeah, I see how Angie's moving. Um, Angie, um, is there a disparity, a gender disparity between uh, knee conditions? Because there seems to be um, a consensus of opinion that, that females between the age of 14 to 19 suffer a higher proportion of, of dislocations than, than males. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, they, um, so females um, seem to get a bit of a raw deal when it comes to the patellofemoral joint. So um, they get potentially a greater number of fat pad irritations. They get a greater number of um, patellofemoral uh, pain. And they generally would be the ones that either sublux or dislocate more easily. And some of that is um, there's a kind of as with everything at the moment, it feels like there's so many different aspects to every um, risk factor. But primarily, um, girls uh, have sort of a higher prevalence of being hypermobile. So that means that their ligaments have a little bit more um, laxity, perhaps, or, or stretch to them than perhaps some of the boys who tend to be um, a little bit less flexible, shall we say. So boys um, inherently will get different conditions, which I'll touch on in a second. But for the girls, there's various things when their pelvis widens as they go through puberty they get an increase in what we call a valgus angle, um, i.e. Their, their pelvis goes wider and their knees relatively are coming together a little bit more. And what that does is I always kind of liken um, the femur to like a, a knuckle and the patella sitting in it in a nice little groove. Now, if we change any of the alignment around the pelvis and the hip, then we have the susceptibility of changing the alignment at the patellofemoral joint. There'll be different forces going on within the muscles. And likewise, if we change something at the foot, we have that similar um, ability to do it. 
And certainly during adolescence, a whole load of things happen, um, which their limbs are going longer. Their muscle tension is going to take a little bit of catch up time. There's often a lag between muscle soft tissue flexibility and, and bone growth. And so we're getting these changes in alignment. We're getting changes in tension, flexibility, and even the nerves are, are trying really hard to keep up, but they struggle to do that. So I think these poor little girls generally aren't as strong and they unfortunately go through even just habits like sitting with their knees close together um, into that valgus position with their feet wrapped around chairs and things that we'd never see a boy do in a million years. So there's many, many reasons why these girls have maybe a little bit of a more predisposition to that patella sliding out of uh, the groove uh, into which it should be. Uh, certainly one of the conditions that can happen is girls tend to have a slightly shallower groove, some of them, so the patella doesn't stay in as, as readily. Um, some of them may have a, a kneecap that rides a little bit higher. We call that patella alta. Um, and so it's literally almost like the quad has kind of yanked it back up the leg a little bit and therefore it's not sitting in the deep little groove. So there's sort of anatomical things, muscle tension, muscle imbalances, neural things that can all contribute to why that might happen. Would, would you say then, um, I'm assuming you can still hear me because everything's frozen on my screen apart from you, Angie. So uh, Okay, we're all coming. Yeah, no, everybody's, uh, everybody's good. Okay, so uh, let's hypothesize then that we've, we've got somebody who's 19 years old, female, um, not particularly athletic, um, who have gone through the referral system, been to a physio and had, you know, little success, shall we say, uh, might not be adhering to the exercise program uh, for rehabilitation. Do you think it's, it's worthwhile seeking a, a specialist physio who, who deals with this primarily? Uh, is it a paediatric physio? Is it, you know, where do we go with, with this from here? So this 19 year olds had a dislocation, have they? Yes. Okay, so um, at the end of the day, um, if the physio they're seeing hasn't managed to engage with the patient to a level whereby they're compliant with the exercise programme, then we need to find another solution. So either they need to look and say, well, how were they given the exercises? Were they given them in a format that suited them? So um, I'll always offer kids the opportunity to have those um, videos of themselves or of me doing their exercises on the phone. Is that what they're looking for? Do they want um, some photos of it? I use an online program. So they tend to get it from me in an ability to print, an ability to see it in writing, because kids, um, well, we all, adults too, we all have different ways of learning. So the first thing is going to be finding a way to get this kid motivated. So there must be something that as a 19 year old, she's missing out on doing. So they might not be sporty, but do they enjoy going shopping? Do they enjoy um, going you know, to a nightclub and going dancing? And is that going to limit them from that? So one of my first things is always to try and understand what I call emotive goals. There's got to be something in this world of that child or that young person that she wants to do that she can't do because of this knee pain. And therefore, it's not necessarily about saying, well, we can take your pain away and you need to do these exercises so you can get stronger. Sounds a whole lot different if we said, well, if we got you doing this and we could get you to just do a few of these exercises, 
then in essence, we'd be able to get you back going out with your mates again in town and you'd be able to have lots of fun again. And hopefully they kind of see that there's a benefit to it. I think all too often we're guilty of of selling um, the product versus actually what benefit they're going to gain from from complying with the exercises. So I think probably a change of personnel for me might be good just because we need a fresh start because there's no way out of this without doing exercise. So that said, how how often have you seen surgical intervention which has been successful and if required, is it likely to lead to problems later in life? Well, you're talking to the right person because this particular physio is a physio because of what happened to her as a kid. So my patella did dislocate. Um, I was frosby flopping over a high jump and boom, it came out. And so um, at the time I did all my exercises. I was really motivated sports person and it came out again. And so they did what they called a lateral release then, which they used to actually cut the uh, outer part of your quads attachment to the patella called the lateral retinaculum and do this lateral release on the idea that then it would slide back in. But you can imagine what the scar tissue did and it pulled it straight back out again. So they don't do that anymore. And if they're going to do anything now, they look to to sometimes um, transpose the tibial tuberosity um, or something along that lines to change the biomechanical forces. If I was going to have a kid who needed surgery, I would try and replicate what you need to do with surgery by doing something at the foot. So, for example, when we're doing osteoarthritis in the knee now, we'd use a little bit of wedging rather than a tibial osteotomy straight off to see what intervention that had. Um, I'd certainly be asking, I get amazing results with using a bioskin knee sleeve. Um, they're really thin. They're really kind of comfortable, silky, stretchy um, products. And we just use a knee sleeve. And I think it was Michael Callahan used that exact brace in a in a study that he did. And it showed basically that wearing a brace doesn't make you weak. It actually makes you trust the knee more. So you load it more. And therefore, much the same as in the ankle, we're going to get more benefit out of actually getting them to use that limb again and trust it. So for me, it would be an absolute last resort if we have to start changing biomechanics surgically, tightening things up. They sometimes do kind of procedures around trying to, to tighten up sort of certain soft tissues to pull the patella back. But dynamically, at the end of the day, you're still going to have to go back to making sure that the muscles are all firing, whatever surgery you do. So it's more about getting the kid compliant. I think uh, if she's not tried a knee sleeve brace, if she's not tried taping, then maybe that would work. Um, but I mean, surgery's got to be the last resort. I'd be wanting a massive checklist before I entertain that idea. Thanks, Angie. Matt, do you want to go to some questions from the comments? Yeah, that was great. Um, I just have one myself before I forget it, because otherwise it'll disappear i'm interested what you said like about the anatomical variability which can be caused when they're going through adolescence for example like the change in q angle and all that sort of thing is there a case then that because a lot of the time i think younger therapists or new therapists will have learned they'll have people coming into clinic who may indeed be asymptomatic 
and be signing up for kind of a screening program and they'll do a, a, a kind of a crude measurement of the cue angle and the relationship the angle of the femur compared to the hip and they'll put them into a danger category and liz you might want to pop in here if you're still listening for dancers i imagine often for a screening protocol it's look at the cue angle but then there's a whole load of evidence isn't there and papers suggesting that the cue angle isn't the cause of patellofemoral pain for example because there's plenty of athletes who have got wide hips and let's face it i mean it's a common characteristic which many female athletes have got and there's plenty of them who are asymptomatic so you're suggesting that maybe the thing with adolescents and um, females specifically is it's that these anatomical changes like the angle just happen too quickly and the body is not ready to cope with the change in stresses yeah, I think critically, I would say that um, with almost all injuries that we see, um, other than the traumatic ones, it's almost a bit about too much too soon or the adaptations mm -hmm. haven't had time to kick in. And so what we're really looking at is I don't buy into the fact that you've got a big Q angle and oh look at that, you know, you, you've angles greater than this and therefore you're going to have X, Y and Z. Um, because if you look at there's a, um, a runner called Jepto, mm -hmm. um and I'm sure you've come across that video that basically she runs with the biggest knock knees you've ever seen. Mm. And yet that she's so well adapted to that. She's always run like that. So I think if you've got congenic, I don't screen for congenital biomechanical abnormalities. But what I was really alluding to was that you are going to get a temporary, a transient period of alteration in biomechanics as the pelvis widens in an adolescent female mm -hmm. and they will take time to adjust to that and therefore I'm not suggesting that we should be looking at screening all these kids for a valgus angle I think that's hopefully gone by the wayside now and I don't think there's much evidence that patellofemoral joint is necessarily or patellofemoral pain is necessarily linked to Q angle mm -hmm. but in the extremes of valgus and the extremes of Q angles um, I think that there is going to be an increased risk of patella dislocation. So I think we need to mm -hmm. to almost put the two into separate compartments because the risk factors in some respects will overlap and yet in others they won't. Interesting. So it's that question, isn't it, of when a, it seems so important and, and your course brings us out a lot of when we do have a younger athlete. We'll say athlete because the, the idea then is they're going through kind of maybe periods of training and excessive load but if they do come in the massive question is have you seen any growth spurts are you wearing yeah. have you gone up a shoe size or trouser lengths are, are, are often a good one isn't it with boys yeah. i find um okay i'm going to stop asking questions that i know other people have asked questions that's great liz bailey came back and just said um there's a bit of a fed question because i know liz is quite big on this and her courses and things but you've already said it matters there's no link between biomechanical patterns and risk factors for injury so risk factors yeah but if someone does come in and they're suffering from pain, it's something we can look at and it could potentially cause a, or highlight a cause or something we need to change and, and, and kind of redistribute loads a little bit. Yeah, great. Thanks, Liz, coming back with that one. All right, let's go back to Rob, shall we? He's been waiting patiently. Was it Rob we got on there first of all? Yes. Rob Durant, here we go. I'll bring it up on the screen as Rob's joining us live. So Rob Durant has said, my 20 year old son fractured his femur in 2017 and we just got him back into sport. He had a slight lateral displacement at the knee, medial epicondyle growth plate three weeks ago. He ruptured his Achilles, I guess. No, um, ACL, sorry, no, me looking at down the chain a little bit too far. Yeah, so um, 20 year old son, uh, fractured femur 2017. 
Um, just going back into sport, slight lateral displacement of the knee, medial epicondyle growth plate three weeks ago, he ruptured his ACL. So I guess, could this be an ongoing injury? Is there a pattern here that's going to, he's going to struggle with? Yeah. So I think this, I mean, poor guys for starters, um, is um, the fractured femur in 2017 could well have, have slightly altered as he puts the slight lateral displacement at the knee. Um, now, as a, a 20 year old, what the sort of things that's immediately going through um, my uh, head at this point is, is he a, um, quite a, a late for maturation? Because the um, growth plate um, at the medial condyle um, in his knee should be beginning to fuse by this point. So the fact that we've still got that uh, growth plate open makes it more susceptible to injury. Um, and so inherently, the attachments of things like your ACL, if you've got a pubescent athlete that's that's not fully matured yet. Um, and I think it would be interesting for Rob to comment as to when his son went through puberty. Mm. Um, but there's certainly, you know, if you're going to, did he get his um, full strength back? So how I'd have been looking at this, let's say he comes into clinic um, first time today. Then my first question would be, um, is how's his limb symmetry right to left leg? And so this is something that I'm really passionate about is that we need to make sure with all our injuries. So we have um, in kids, we get things like osteochondral injuries, um, which are sort of to do with the cartilage covering the bone. And um, we can get um, other sort of like Osgood Schlatters, which are to do with where the um tendon attaches to the bone but all of these conditions it's really important that when we rehab them we apply the same rules as we would for an ACL so as soon as we can with this guy as soon as he's done that injury if we can look and see what tests we can do either dynamometer um, or functional tests to really understand where he is now left versus right um uh, leg because if we wait till say we can do hot tests with his uh it doesn't say i don't think whether it's his right or left but let's say call it his injured leg for the minute um let's say that in three four months time we can start getting this lad hopping again and we want to know whether it's symmetrical so the distance he can hop with his right leg versus the distance he can uh hop with his left now if we've waited three and four months to find that information out then his non-injured leg is going to decondition by anything up to probably 20% because he's not been able to do much with it. So what's really important here, Rob, is we get some measurements of his symmetry left to right before his non-injured leg gets um, weaker. And that's called, if you look it up on, uh, Mick Hughes has done a really good article on it and it's called EPIC. So it's estimated um, pre-injury calculation sort of thing. And that's really important. So I think the, the main thing here is we can't change his biomechanics. Whatever happened in the fracture, it happened. But what we can change is his risk factors for future injury. And so, you know, what we don't know at this point is, did he have really high level rehab after the fractured femur? Did he become symmetrical left to right? What was his proprioception like? What was his belief like? Did he trust that limb? That's one of the biggest factors for ACL re-injuries and things. 
So I think, um, Rob, it's a pretty complicated path, um, path to answer, but I'd be absolutely happy if you send me an email to just give you some advice on that as to where I'd start um, outside of the group, if that would be helpful, because there's lots of questions that are kind of throwing up in my mind that I'd want to kind of understand. Um, so... There's a few um, little follow-ups here from Rob, which we may as well go into as we've got you in the house. It's a pleasure to hear you commenting, even though it's very difficult, isn't it? Surgeon drilled the condyle to stop growth, had a slight growth spurt. So, yeah, what's quite interesting is if you have a fracture in a limb and it does affect the growth plate, then, and I may have misinterpreted how this has been written, but let's say you have a fracture um, through the growth plate, then what we've got to do is assess where they are in terms of their growth potential. So if the fracture, let's just say it's on his right leg and he has a, um, a fracture that's going to affect growth, then what they've got to do is arrest the growth on that side, uh, sorry, um, uh, on the other side in order to make sure that you don't end up with a leg length difference. So they do all kinds of leg balancing sort of uh, techniques in order to try and end up that the person ends up with symmetry. But if he had this in 2017, he would have been 14. So right in the middle of his peak height velocity and, and growth spurts. So in lots of ways, that's a really tough time to get an injury where we're trying to work out how to, to balance his limb symmetry. Um, um, and Andy, I think I think he would have been 17 um, from the original comment. It was 20 year old now. It happened in 2017. Oh, 2017. Um, no, my maths is probably wrong. <laughs> so I think he'd have probably been around 14, 15 when it happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, that, you know, that's sort of Rob and I can get into the actual sort of nitty gritty of how we can help his son. And it says when knees together, his bad leg doesn't touch at the heels. Bad leg is slightly away from the midline. So it sounds as though he's potentially gone into a bit of varum. Um, now, that has got some inherent risk for certain ligaments within the knee. But what we could do in that instance is exactly what we do for an osteoarthritic knee. We could make sure that he's not in high arch support shoes. We could make him a little tiny wedge to go into the outer shoe. So he actually tips him more into a neutral alignment. And this is a lot of what we can do with tweaking around in the foot to explore what impact doing things like that has. It's not buying into long term orthotics. It's just changing a few dynamics to offload things a little bit. So um, I think interesting sort of time for him to have that injury. It's obviously created some biomechanical anomalies. But at the end of the day, people have weirder stuff than that. And I think this, the prospect of him getting back to a really good level of function, Rob, is high. But we need to make sure that he has some seriously good rehab. Can, can I add, uh, Matt, before... Mm. For, for people like Lindsay who are just entering the industry uh, and, and might be, you know, inspired to, to go into more rehab focused um, education that, you know, I've worked, you know, a lot in practice with 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 adolescents. And that's why I found Angie's was my, her previous um, podcast was one of my favorites uh, because I got, I've got an affinity there. But, you know, the way I look at rehabilitation, the way I explain it to clients in clinic, is a little bit like a, a window cleaner's ladder and an injury would re occur at the bottom of the ladder. So you're not even on rung one yet. You, you know, you're not going on. Probably a third of the way up the ladder would be a return to function. So we have things that we have to do in the bottom third of the ladder 
two thirds of the way up the ladder would be return to training. And, you know, the very top of the ladder would, would be returned to sport. Now, what I found from personal experience of, you know, having five kids, all of them, you know, quite tall, all of them going through normal sort of injury patterns for, for you know, growth spurts, if you like. And um, what I found is that when you're dealing with adolescents, you know, and their coaches, to be fair, they may have an injury, but they want to get back to playing as soon as possible. And therefore they don't, unless they fully understand the each rung of the ladder, you know, a third of the way, two thirds of the way and return to, to competitive sport, then people go back too early. And I, and I think that's quite common. And, and I think what we need to do as therapists is we just need to signpost out the parents or, or the or the child athlete, um, you know, about the uh, the dangers of returning to sport too soon. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's a lot about setting realistic expectations. So if we're talking about um, and this is the thing that's really come through from people like um, Holden and Rathleff, who've done some amazing work on both Osgood Schlatter's um, and uh, on patellofemoral pain. And I think they've got a really good uh, paper that highlights this stepping stone. They call it a rehab ladder. Uh, like you do. And I think it, it, in essence, it's about really setting um, realistic expectations, but also understanding which athletes are more likely to take longer to rehabilitate. So in terms of things like um, your Osgood Schlatters, we know that the more um, they, so if we do a sort of questionnaire at the beginning to assess um, their potential outcomes, then if we're doing the different, and there's loads and loads of one, but there's the PEDI ID, um, IEKDC um, questionnaire. And if they get a really low score on that, then the probability is that they're going to have a longer rehab program. So if we use these outcome measures in the beginning and we take really detailed history about where the end goal is, then we can start to give them some realistic timeframes. But the idea that we might tell a kid with, Osgood Schlatter's, they're going to grow out of it in three months, is probably not fair to the kid. And so we've got to get this long-term buy-in and make programs really fun for them um, and also teach them how to manage and self-manage their symptoms. So certainly the, the Rathleth stuff, you know, enables them to understand that as long as they're not getting a more than three out of 10 pain, they can push on because fundamentally we want kids doing sport. We want them to be able to load the limbs and get stronger but we don't want them to cause massive roller coasters of flare ups, settle down flare ups. So I think the important bit is is around um, making sure that we educate the coach, we educate the, the parents, educate the kid about how much is too much and about progressive loading. Um, and certainly there's I've done a free um, handout which goes into all of this for Osgood Schlatters, which I'm happy to share with everybody um, and that really gets into the nitty gritty of the type of things that we need to share with our athletes in order to help them understand this long journey. But it's also about kind of turning around and saying, well, look, um, I was doing it with a little kid tonight, is that we're explaining to him that whilst it feels like a long time to get back to sport now, he's going to come back fitter, faster, stronger. Kids aren't bothered about whether they're in pain or they're not in pain or, or the, the little bits and bobs. They want to know what we can bring to them and why this is going to be a benefit. And actually just explaining to them that normally they're so busy running around like headless chickens 
that they don't have time to address any of their strength deficits, that this is a real opportunity and we can start to work on technical, tactical. And it's just getting that buy-in from the kid and the parents to understand that this is just a natural part of being an athlete and there will be highs and there will be lows and it's how we deal with it. Matt, if I may, um, Thomas Ross asked a question, how is this free? Well, I want I want to explain why Great it's question. free. Good question, yeah. Um, you know, at the start of COVID, um, Matt and I discussed this and, and decided the best way to keep in touch with our members was to, to do something like this. You know, let's have a sort of chat about a, a certain topic. But what it quickly developed into is a signposting tool you know we're passionate in in the sports therapy and the soft tissue therapy industries about respecting our remit and and all of the information that we try and do we've had some great guests on liz who's in the house tonight hi liz um you know amongst them but what we do is we we try and give the soft tissue therapist the sports therapist the correct information and the confidence to be able to signpost and actually say, look, this is above my pay grade. You know, I'm not the best person for you, but I'm going to do my damnedest to find out who to refer you to. We get in touch with the professional and we say, I've got this client. They're not responding to what I expect them to do with normal treatment. You know, would you mind if I I pass them along to you and could you keep me updated on, on their progress? That client or their parent in this case will respect you more for being absolutely honest, and they will come back to you the next time they have a problem. That's guaranteed. And I'm sure that the professional who we refer them to will be equally as respectful of you as the therapist, and they will, you know, keep you updated, and and and, and they will think highly of you. So that's why we do it for free. You know, this information started off as just for our members, but we feel it's important to educate, you know, the wider industry and just to give this information out, and that's why we do it for free. There we go. Yeah. And it does provide that foundation before you make, because one of the most biggest questions we get, I'm sure you get them as well, Gary, is, is what CBD do you recommend? You know, and what should I do next? And it's like, it's, you can't answer that question. It's like when someone on Facebook goes, oh, my ankle hurts. What, what's wrong with it? Like in these runners forums. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's you an individual. It could be so many different factors to do with you. But it's the same with what CBD is best for me. Because hopefully one of the things that comes out with this is you'll be exposed to loads of different CPD, quality CPD that's out there. I mean, the only thing we do make sure, well, I do make sure with guests, is that we'll put a variety of CPD. And we've had C, we've had um, speakers on who have been talking about stuff, which personally I'm, I've never actually used. And then after listening to them explain why they use it and a little look at the research and data, I've gone, actually, for the right person in the right clinic, in the right environment, with the right kind of target audience, this is actually quite a good bit of CPD to do. So... I think it makes it far easier to choose what CBD is going to help your business if you listen to specialists like Angela, for example, and other specialists found on the show to see what you need for your audience. You shouldn't have to pay for that to make a good choice. So hopefully we just make the choice easier for you because you're going to need CBD. A common theme has been what you learn in your course is very black and white and it's just a foundation that's necessary. It gives you your certificate, allows you to get the key to the you know the clinic door. But then that's when you need to start kind of focusing on different things like what we're talking about tonight i mean angie you go on so sorry i was just going to say that angela t- touched on it earlier you know rehab has to have an outcome 
It's got to have a goal. And to me, education and CPD has to have an outcome. I, I don't think there's any value in doing CPD just to satisfy a CPD policy. It's got to be something you're interested in. It's got to be something that's valuable to you in practice. Um, even if it identifies that actually I'm not interested in this subject mm. and, and I'll move away and I'll, I'll, I'll look at something else. And that's why we've got 113 episodes, but without, uh, without an outcome, CPD and rehab is wasted. Mm-hmm, definitely. And don't just do it because you know, the clinic next door's done it or someone else has done it. That's the worst choice of CPD because believe me, a thousand people can do the, a CPD, which doesn't suit them. So don't just go with the masses. Anyway, we're going slightly off track here. Andrew, unless you've got anything to, to, to how do you, you're a provider of what I say is excellent CPD, but how do you help the audience understand whether they need you or not? Or do you kind of direct people towards, after listening to people, do you direct them towards different areas or how do you help with people? Especially yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm very mindful. We're not probably sharing much of the, uh, the um, freebies around what the adolescent knee is, but it's an interesting topic. But the, um, I think um, I will often speak to people to before they sign up to any courses that um, I offer. Obviously, I give tons of free webinars as well so that people get a flavor for, for what kind of approach I take. And they either like it or they don't. Um, but I will speak to people quite extensively before they partake on one of my courses, just so they understand what they're getting into and whether it's right for them. And my most recent newsletter, I kind of did like a signposting to to Tom Quantrell and to Sam Blanchard and other providers of really good CPD that they may be able to find because not all people are going to like the way I teach. Um, We talked about the fact that kids don't like to be taught in the same way. And that's true of all therapists. So I think it's really important that we keep that open mind that we're not going to fix everybody either in CPD or physiotherapy. And therefore, we just keep kind of trying to find them the right place for them, whether, again, that's therapy or it's um, or CPD. Um, There's so many. I mean, on your course, you, you go into great detail. And I again, it's true what you say. Not everyone's going to like the, the, the same presenter, the way information is given. It's, it's very much a personal choice. But you do go through an awful lot of different conditions and um, and all the things we've talked about on your course assessment diagnosis with the adolescent knee. I just want to spend a little bit of time on Oscar Schlatter's because I get the sensation that's something which is mentioned. Maybe it's because it's a catchy name like ITB syndrome or something. It's kind of like a name that gets thrown around quite a lot on lower level courses. But I worry sometimes that it's put out there and then every time a teenager comes, it's like, oh, well, I have a little feel of this painful there. Oh, it's definitely what's going on is Oscar Schlatter's disease because it makes you sound very credible if you come out with a with a phrase like that. So I'm wondering about some misdiagnosis or potentially where people, uh, adolescents are coming in and that's being diagnosed where it could be something else. Okay, so (laughs) firstly, I think the important part is that the thinking around Oscar, uh, I can't even say it now. I was very proud of being able to say it just now. Absolutely, has changed. So when I first qualified, we used to talk about it being this traction apophysitis and it was only inherently to do with the attachment of the tendon onto um, the tibial tuberosity. And so it was caused by sort of growing bones, muscles getting stronger and this pulling. And there is still that traction um, effect. But what the more recent research has, has really highlighted is that it's not just about where the tendon attaches onto the bone. The actual tendon could be implicated. And the ones that seem to last longer also may have a little bit of bursitis there. 
They may um, have that neovascularization of inflammation and things kicking into local adjacent tissues. So what we thought of as very much the attachment of the bone and the tendon has now slightly been scuppered. Um, and so whereas I've always said, if you've diagnosed patellar tendinopathy in a 14 year old, you've got it wrong. I've had to eat my words. So critically in an adult, you are much more likely to get a tendon pathology. And in an adolescent, what tends to happen is so the bone has finished fusing. It's all nice and tough in an adult. And therefore, it's the tendon that loses out in an adolescent. The bone is still cartilaginous at the attachment. And half the time, the, the actual sort of shape of the bone and the growth plate hasn't even fully fused. So consequently, when that muscle starts to, to go through puberty and they get a bit stronger and they start tugging at the insertion, of the tibial tuberosity with the quads, it's actually the bony cartilaginous area that loses out way more than the tendon. So we can see some tendon changes. And I think in management, we treat them in much the same way with isometrics and then eccentrics and moving them through into sort of a loaded program. But critically, I think adults are going to get more patellar tendinopathy. Kids are going to get more Osgood schlatters. So hopefully that clears that up. At the other end of the patella tendon, you've got Sinding Larsen's Johansson. That's an even bigger mouthful. And that just means it's where the patella tendon attaches to the, the um, pole of the patella rather than the other end being the tibial tuberosity. So what we're basically presenting with is a patient who's going to come in and say, my knee hurts there. And so they're going to be right over the tibial tuberosity. They're not going to be anywhere else. That's the only place that they're going to point to. And sometimes if there's been a little bit of chronicity to it, there is swelling and it looks like a little egg on the knee. But I think we need to be careful because if they don't respond to treatment, there's very, very few of these actually pull off where we have what we call an avulsion injury. But it can happen. And there are other things because kids are basically very metabolic. They're growing and all their tissues are proliferating. You have to remember that if this doesn't sort of seem quite right, that they can also get tumours in that tibial, uh, proximal tibial area. So they can be, unfortunately, I've had some kids who have presented with either bone cysts in the tibia or um, osteosarcomas and things. Because we're right by growth tissue, we can't underestimate the fact that you can still get some quite nasty ones. And the other one is a differential diagnosis, which sadly we're seeing more and more in adolescents, is stress fractures. So things that you might see where you get the stress fractures in the foot or the fresh stress fractures in the tibia. Sadly, we're now seeing them in the proximal tibia. Um, and I've had a, a distal femoral one recently that mimicked knee pain. And we've had a proximal tibia one. Um, and these were kids who weren't eating breakfast. Um, we covered some of these factors in that first talk I did. But I think what's really interesting is that we've we've got to be very careful that, as you say, we don't just leap in and go, it's in the front of the knee, it's below the kneecap, it's Osgood Schlatter's. Um, it probably is. Um, but importantly, Rathleth's really shown now and Holden that these things are going to last about four years. So we've got to get the diagnosis right to start with and we've got to get them on the right rehab path really quickly. 
Brilliant. Excellent. I love the way you explain things. It's something you do on the course as well, where you're talking about the differences in growth tissue and how you've got more cartilaginous joints making it up as opposed to the fully adult form tendon. It's it really helps. I, I What I love about your course is it's perfect for somebody who's done the foundation anatomy level four or whatever. And then and that they've learned about cartilaginous joints and different types of joints and fibrous joints. And now we can just build on that. I think it's really nice the way you present information. Um, it's good. Good stuff. Um, Thomas has just uh, also put in as well, mentioned the fat pad, and I think that's really relevant. I'm hoping that uh, uh, Claire Patella will do that uh, justice next week. Um, but absolutely right. You've, you know, up towards the, so not really where the um, tibial tuberosity is, but that Sinding Larsen's can get really mixed up with a fat pad irritation. Um, interestingly enough, the presentation is slightly different, whereby if you've got a fat pad, it's more likely to be painful into extension, whereas Sinding Larsen's tends to be more into loaded eccentric flexion when you're really um, using the, sorry, as you're going into like a small knee bend, a mini squat, um, we tend to see that more in the Sinding Larsen versus a fat pad irritation you're more likely to see in hyperextension and standing and things like that. Um, so that's a good point. Um, nice one, Thomas. Fantastic. Thanks for adding to making this free content so useful. This is why we love people joining us live because it's a to and fro of you guys providing your own experience and information. Excellent. Gary, do we have any other questions from the emailed in just quickly or um, most have been covered? No, we, we I suppose we covered the patella alta if it's um, non-symptomatic. Yeah. High riding patella. Loads of people have them. Um, as long as that kneecap's not going wandering too often then we just leave them well alone. And the opposite of patella alta is um, patella baja, which is B-A-J-A. -A. I'm not very good at Spanish. It's probably baja or something. Baja, um, nice. What is the advice for patella alta with and without pain? So um, it depends. I think the fact that somebody knows they've got patella alta probably means they've presented with symptoms. So um, the symptoms are not necessarily going to be a result of the patella alta, but if it's a very shallow groove as well, then you're more likely to see subluxations. Uh, and we've then got to start addressing. I mean, I use a lot of uh, muscle stim complex with these kind of patients where we're really trying to get the muscle imbalance um, around the, the patella sorted. I use a lot of taping. Uh, one of the first courses I ever did about, it's probably nearly 40 years ago now, um, uh, 35 years ago was the McConnell um, patella femoral taping course with Jenny McConnell and I still use it to this day in my patella ulcers in my um, patella subluxations because if you've got a kneecap that's going wandering around a little bit more than it should then basically having somebody put a piece of tape on it gives you that confidence that it's not going to go anywhere and okay it's probably proprioceptive more than it is biomechanical but if it gives that patient that confidence and it kind of tells you whether it's worth ordering a 30 quid brace to go with it. But if we get success from just putting a bit of tape on and to see what impact that has, then I think it helps the patient buy in. Suddenly they go, oh, my God, it doesn't hurt. Right. I can do my exercises. Great. I'm not saying to we want them to be wearing tape for the rest of their life. And it certainly doesn't need to be pink, striped and blue. Um, but if it makes the patient do their exercises, then I'm a massive fan of anything that will do that, be it a wedge in the shoe, be it a piece of tape um, and a support for the knee. 
if they'll get increased compliance because they feel more confident and they think you are understanding their pain, good. Good advice. Yeah, I like the way you presented that, the use of tape. And that's really useful for younger professors as well who have been taught tape and how to put it on. And there might be some kind of clarification of how you of what the tape is actually doing and, and not letting the patient think that without the tape, they're going to be fragile and useless forever. That They need this tape to fix them. So, yeah, really great information. Um, OK, well, look, it's 9.06 already. The, the hour has run by. And thank you, everybody who joined us live for the questions. If you listen to the podcast and you've got more questions, then Angie is – I don't know how you do it, Angie. I don't know how you put out so much great information on Twitter. I follow you on Twitter, but it's like bam, bam, bam. It must – you must know your way around Hootsuite something incredibly well. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's no way you could have a living and put out such great stuff so regularly. But it's a what great a feed. It's really good. Thank you. Um, I, one of the topics I was planning on us covering was osteochondritis dissecans. So what I'll do is – um, to, uh, my Twitter feed, Instagram feed is Angie J Physio. Um, mm -hmm. What I'll do is I'll uh, repost that tonight or tomorrow morning. Uh, the little infographic I did on on the Acabled paper, um, mm -hmm. because I think that's a, a really good one that perhaps people won't have necessarily come across in the same way. And it's kind of like you might think it's a, a meniscal tear in the adult, but it's going to more likely be an osteochondral um, defect. Um, in the knee and if we miss these we cause long-term problems so there's a few conditions that we really need to be aware of in case we miss them and then end up down the line that these guys need all sorts of interventions and, and long-term history is not good fantastic yeah so if you listen to the podcast that was the twitter handle for angela daxon is ang with a g so it's a-n-g-i-e j physio that's correct isn't it yeah j physio yep um, on Twitter. Um, as far as I can see, yeah, that, that would be a, a great um, Twitter feed to follow. Just set that notifications of all tweets and all live videos or whatever it is, and that will give you some fantastic information. And then obviously, of course, you can go to uh, the website, Angela Jackson, physio.com, which has got a load of information on there as well, including the course that we've been talking about tonight, assessment diagnosis of the adolescent knee. Um, we wanted to get you along to therapy expo but sadly stunning myself i'm sorry uh, i'll be no, there next year i don't year. Want to feel guilty don't feel no guilty, it's all right but... caribbean island are you, are you uh, going I'm all sorry. inclusive <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> i don't listen to end on that reminder i'm getting that ready no I, i've got a, one thing to end on that if i'm yes um i know i know this evening Angie spoke about various diagnosis uh, diagnoses just remember with the soft tissue therapists if we're if we're sports therapists you know we're not going to be diagnosing anything let's leave that to the appropriately regulated professionals and let's stick to our remit and let's build some relationships with the with the physios and the osteos around us um so we can start breaking down those barriers that, that matt spoke about earlier Brilliant. there's a challenge out there Talk oh yeah we'll come to the challenge to finish that off that'd be beautiful but first of all Lindsay just said thank you guys be very helpful we'll listen to all the podcasts through the week and hope to join you again next week thanks for joining us Lindsay. It'll be really useful having your perspective um if you want to send any feedback or anything indeed you'd like <clears throat> clarification or to know about and this goes for anyone listening to the podcast just email matt at the sta.co.uk um for anything you want to hear or you want clarification on i can direct you so matt at the sta.co no, matt at the sta.co.uk yeah that's right um yeah okay we've got a challenge haven't we thomas as you said it was such a great show and you can't believe it's free thomas has now challenged angela to pronounce something that's on the screen here 
Um, do you want to go for it, Angela? I do. Isthmic spondylolisthesis. Is that word <laughs> isthmic that I have a real issue with? I think I have a slight lisp. Thomas, you're a monkey. But that's, <laughs> I did it. I nailed it. <laughs> the second word got uh, me. That was Matt, amazing. Yeah. Matt, perhaps we could get Thomas on next week as a special guest and he can do it for us. Absolutely. I think that would be a good idea. I'm sure Claire Patella will be well up for that. Maybe Claire will give you some um, some challenges as well. Brilliant. Thanks, people who joined us live. Liz Bailey Physio, great to have you along as well. Liz will be. Um, Liz actually was going to, she had her Caribbean cruise booked and she cancelled it to be at Therapy Expo, um, <laughs> which is which is great. Uh, so thanks for doing that, Liz. Thanks for setting what it up, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. But Liz is going to be joining us. We will be revealing soon um, our speakers at Therapy Expo this year on the 23rd, 24th of November, the Wednesday and Thursday. We're very excited. Like last year, we got the STA Theatre in place. And we've got some amazing speakers on both the Wednesday and the Thursday, which I will let you know about on normal social media um, conduits. Can't think of another word then. Um, uh, so, yeah, keep an eye out on that. Um, what we've, Liz Bailey here is always dedicated. So thanks, Liz. <laughs> Such a professional. Um, but anyway, what we've got coming up, like I say, next week, if you enjoyed tonight, um, then we have got Claire Robertson, um, Patello Femoral Pain Specialist. Um, Claire's still got, I'm still waiting for a reply from Claire because I've been off whether she's going to be talking about patellofemoral pain, pain, but I'd be surprised if it's not because that's her specialist. So um, I think we'll go with that. And then the week after, um, we have got what Gary touched on today, actually. Um, do I need knee surgery from uh, someone I'm really looking forward to speaking to, um, consultant orthopedic knee surgeon, Jonathan Bell, who you might, if you watch Therapy Live or follow the Physiomatics podcast a little bit, amazing speaker, really so interesting. That's going to be a great one as well. Uh, to finish our three-part series on the knee but for today um, it just remains me to say thank you so much for joining us again Angela two-time guest thank you so much my pleasure the time. Um, and uh, and Gary good to see you hope you get better soon um, and I think that's about it um, so take care of each other um, and hopefully we'll see some of you listening to the podcast we'll see you live next Tuesday eight o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel bye-bye <music> You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.